in his blog, a guy called Tom Rayner, he asked his readers what had caused fights <coughs> or conflicts in their churches. And incredibly, the responses included things like this. They said that their church had fought because the church budget was off by 10 cents. They, they fought over whether a clock in the worship service should be removed or not. <clears throat> over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Over the type of filing cabinet to purchase. Should it be black or brown? Should it have two, three or four drawers? Similarly, that argument went on for about three quarters of an hour. Over whether it was okay to use cranberry grape juice mix for communion, or was it, should it just be grape juice? Whether it should be normal or gluten-free bread. Over the type of coffee. Some people even left the church because they didn't get their choice of coffee. And over whether the church should allow people to wear black t-shirts, since black is the colour of the devil. (laughs) It's really sad, isn't it? That we as Christians could get pulled into these sorts of trivial and ridiculous arguments. How could we gather to worship our Lord and Saviour and yet end up fighting over things that are just so stupid? And yet, fighting over worship is nothing new. In fact, it goes right back to the, the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. The very first conflict in the Bible happened just after a time of worship. However, the issue at stake here was something much more serious than beards or coffees or dress code. The issue went right to the very heart of worship. So we're going to read from Genesis chapter 4. Just the first five verses uh, this morning. We're going to carry on down through this incident next week. But we're just going to read the first five verses this morning of Genesis chapter 4. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Last week we saw that Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. Despite her guilt and her brokenness, Adam knew that God would give Eve the amazing honour and privilege to bring life into this world. And this started to become a reality through the birth of this very first baby boy. Now, of course, there was a, a natural biological aspect to this birth. We read that Adam lay with his wife and she became pregnant. This literally says that Adam knew his wife. Now, 
Some of us who grew up reading the, the, the older versions of the Bible would have read that. In the King James Version, for example, it said, knew his wife. And sometimes I thought it was just because they were you know, kind of afraid to actually spell out what happened there. It was kind of a way to kind of talk about sex without actually talking about it. But I think there's something more than that there. I think it reminds us that we need to reject the way that this world reduces sex just to a physical act. We need to remember that God designed sex so that man and a woman could know each other at the deepest level of intimacy. Obviously within the context of a committed marriage relationship. So Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant. A natural biological process. But Eve also realised that there's something more going on. That this son that she gave birth to was actually a gift from God. She said, verse 1, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. This new human being was someone made in the image of God to reflect the likeness of God and bring glory to God. Because he was God's handiwork. And this is true of all of us. Psalm 139, verse 13. You you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. We are not just the product of a biological process. We are so much more than that. We are God's handiwork. We are God's masterpiece. We are a gift from God. And so those of us who are parents here this morning, we need to remember that. That sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from Him. Our children are amazing gifts from God to us. And we should be thankful, continually thankful to God for them. Even when when they drive you mad. That was Jacob's attitude in 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 the book of Genesis. When he met Esau and he brought all of his family and and to meet Esau, Esau asked who they were and this is how Jacob responded. They are the children God has graciously given your servant. What an amazing attitude for us who are parents to have for our kids. And that understanding should not only impact how we love and we care for our kids, but also how seriously we take our responsibility to point them to their ultimate Father in Heaven and to bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. I think that's our greatest privilege and our greatest responsibility as parents to speak to our kids about the Lord. But this understanding of kids being a gift from God isn't just a lesson for us who are parents, it's a lesson for all of us here this morning. Because it should lead us as a church to stand for the value of each and every human being on this planet. Even if we live in a world where things like abortion or euthanasia are increasingly accepted, we need to hold the truth that no matter 
how small or helpless a human being is. No matter what they can or cannot do. No matter the circumstances of their conception or their perceived quality of life, every human being is precious and a valuable gift from God. All of human life is sacred. And so we need to treat it as such. We need to value it. We need to see human life as precious and sacred. But although everybody is equally precious in God's sight, we're also all different from each other. And if in a way we're all the same, because we're all human beings made in the image of God, and yet we are all unique. And so when Abel, Cain's little brother, was born, these first brothers followed different paths in their life. Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. One was a shepherd, the other was a farmer or a gardener. Now, some people have tried to suggest that this is what's behind God's favouring of Abel over Cain, as somehow being a shepherd was better than being a farmer or a gardener. I hope you agree with me that I don't think that's true. Both of these men were, in a sense, fulfilling aspects of their God-given purpose. As a shepherd, Abel was obeying God's command to rule over every living creature that moves on the ground. From Genesis chapter 1. And as a gardener, Cain, he was kind of obeying God's command and following in his, in his father's footsteps because he was told in the Garden of Eden to work the garden and to take care of it. So both of them were doing jobs that were honourable in God's sight. And both of them brought offerings to God from the fruits of their labour. We read in verse 3, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Both Cain and Abel had a consciousness of God and his role in their lives. They knew that God deserved to be worshipped. And they had some kind of understanding of the appropriateness of expressing gratitude and thankfulness to God. And I think that those different offerings could have been honouring to God. Both of them. When you go back later into the, the law, the law was, that was given to Israel through Moses, that would later include regulations for offerings, both animal sacrifices and grain offerings. God could have been honoured and worshipped by both of these ways to worship him. In our world, of course, we are often troubled by diversity, aren't we? We don't like the fact that people are different from us. Loads of people get upset because other people look different, or they speak differently, or they like different things, or they relate in different ways, or a whole range of different things upset people and annoy them, and sometimes anger them. And even as Christians, we sometimes get offended because other Christians or other churches do things differently. There are so many arguments between traditional or contemporary music, between organ or guitar, 
Stand up to sing or sit down to sing. Volume up or volume down. Hands up or hands down. So much diversity in the church and so many people find it really upsetting that people are not doing it exactly like them. But the Bible talks about a God who loves diversity. He says this, Paul writes this about in the church. He says, in the church there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. So we are called to worship a God who doesn't require or even want uniformity in his family. God is big enough to handle the diversity that he created in this world. So instead of fighting over what is best, we are called to worship and serve our Lord differently using different gifts, different abilities and express ourselves through our different personalities. But of course that doesn't mean that all differences are acceptable. That doesn't mean that we can come to God any way that we want. That doesn't mean that with God anything goes. Yes, we can honour and worship God through our God-given diversity of personality or language or culture or experience or understanding or abilities and gifts. But there are some things that are essential. There are some things that are immovable, some things that are unchangeable, some things that are indispensable if we are going to honour God with our lives. And it was over one of those essentials that Cain and Abel, their differences really made a big difference and mattered to God. This is the reason why, verse 4, it says, The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. Abel's offering pleased God. He accepted it because he was honoured by it. Cain's offering was not, did not please God. It wasn't accepted because it didn't honour God. So why was that? Why was Abel's offering acceptable to God and honoured him and pleased him? And why did Cain's offering not? And there have been many suggestions as to why that was the case. Some people have said that Cain's sacrifice wasn't accepted because, because it was only grains or vegetables or fruit then it was not a blood sacrifice. And to some extent, that makes sense. Because as we've seen in previous chapter, the wages of sin against God is death. God said about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, remember, when you eat of it, you will surely die. Those who go against God's commands deserve to die. And so the price of rescuing people from that penalty of sin is death. The death of a substitute. So Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And Abel's sacrifice of a lamb here pointed to that reality. 
Not that this lamb that Abel killed to make the sacrifice paid for his sin. But it pointed forward to Jesus. The one that John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So some people said that's why Abel's sacrifice was more acceptable. Because it was a better picture of Jesus' sacrifice that would ultimately take away sin. Others have said that Abel's sacrifice was better because of the quality of his offering. Abel, it says, brought the best part, the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Whereas Cain, he just brought some of the, first, some of the fruits of the soil. So Abel brought the best part of the first of his, of his flock, but Cain just brought some. Now again, there could be some sense to that. If you again look at the the law given to to Moses, to the people of Israel, the people of Israel were told to bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. To bring the best, to bring the first, the, the start of the harvest. That showed both that they believed that God deserved nothing less than your best, but also it showed that you were willing to give away the start of your harvest because you were trusting that God would provide all that you needed to live in the rest of the harvest. These people were told, don't wait until everything is collected and then work out what you can spare. But as soon as you start to harvest, bring those first fruits, trusting God for the rest. And as you read through the book of uh, the, the Bible and look at the, the nation of Israel, they failed again and again to do that. They didn't bring their best to God. They didn't bring the start. So, for example, Malachi, he challenged them. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands? Was God honoured when they brought the, kind of, the mangy little animals that they didn't really want? as a sacrifice to God and kept the best for themselves. And I think we can apply that principle in so many different ways in our lives, can't we? Do we give God the best of ourselves in service to God? Or do we just give God whatever energy or focus or strength we have left after we do everything else? Are we willing to give God time at the start of our day as the very first fruits of that day to read his word to spend time in prayer or do we just give God the leftovers right at the end of the day when we're tired and we've just done everything else we'll manage to do and we just try and fit in a little bit of time with God are we willing to prioritise our financial giving to God's kingdom and to his mission in this world or do we just give whatever is left after we've spent what we want on ourselves. Does our giving honour God by showing that he is first in our lives? Or do we try and give to God what doesn't cost us anything at all? Do we give our best? Do we give our first fruits? Or do we give our leftovers? What really is not of any value at all. So those are two 
options that people have suggested for why Cain, Cain's offering was not acceptable uh, to God. It wasn't a blood sacrifice and it wasn't the best. But I think the real reason why Cain's offering was unacceptable is found in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it says this. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. The vital difference between the the, the offering of Cain and the offering of Abel, I don't think was so much to do with the kind of offering that it was, nor the quality of what was given. Rather, it was all to do with the heart of the one who was offering. Abel's offering was acceptable because he offered it in faith. He was expressing a humble trust in God. His complete dependence on God. And his gratitude for all that God had done in his life. That's why Abel was seen as as righteous in God's sight. Because right at the beginning, just as throughout the whole Bible, what matters in order to be right with God is faith. Romans 1 verse 17 says this, The righteous will live by faith. And so Cain's offering was unacceptable to God. Because although he was involved in religious activity, his heart was not right with God. He wasn't trusting in God. He hand-put his complete dependence on God. He didn't have faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11 and 6. So that, and also this is why Cain responded as he did to God's disapproval. We can see that lack of faith in how he responded. Verse 5 of Genesis 4. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. When God said that he wasn't pleased with Cain's offering, this is how he responded. This shows a lack of faith. Faith would have, been, would have responded to that situation with genuine sorrow, with deep repentance, with a change of attitude and action. But instead, Cain responded with raging bitterness. And self-centered pity. Cain was not a man of faith. He did not believe in God's fairness. He did not believe in God's holiness. He did not believe in God's goodness. And so he rebelled against God's judgment. And he envied Abel. And as we'll see next week, those attitudes took root in Cain's heart and led him to commit a dreadful crime against God and against his brother. And I think all of that showed that God's honour and God's glory were never Cain's priority. He didn't bring that offering for God. He brought it for himself. He offered his sacrifice for self-centred reasons because he didn't really love and trust God. 
So I think Cain is a warning to all of us. A warning that it's possible to be religious, but not righteous. We can go through the motions of looking like we are worshipping God, but without bringing honour to God. Without having a saving faith in God. This is the trap that the people of Israel fell into. Jesus challenged them by quoting from the book of Isaiah. He said this, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. It wasn't enough for these people to be involved in religious activities. It wasn't enough for them just to attend the ceremonies or the festivals or to go through the rituals or to say the right things. It wasn't even enough for them to bring their sacrifices and and their tithes to the temple. All of that was in vain. It was empty. It was meaningless. It was a waste of time because it didn't express the reality of their hearts. It didn't come from a life centred on God by faith. And when people do that, when people live a life of a religion but without faith in God, And the consequences are terrifying. Speaking of the day of judgment, Jesus said this. Many, Matthew chapter 7, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's a scary verse. It's possible to be in church this morning. It's possible to be intensely religious. It's possible to just go through the motions of Christianity, to attend church, to sing songs, to say prayers, to read our Bibles, even to get involved in ministry. And yet remain separate from God. Yet remain outside of God's kingdom. Lost and heading to a lost eternity. Why? Because if we've not come into a personal relationship with God through faith in Christ, then we're not His children. Without faith in Christ, we cannot please God. Without faith in Christ, we cannot be part of His kingdom. Without faith in Christ, we cannot worship God. If we haven't personally put our faith in Jesus, trusting in Him and His sacrificial death on the cross, then the Bible tells us that we're still lost. No matter how religious we are. John 3 verse 18, Whoever believes in Jesus in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. If we are in that situation this morning, 
We need to learn from Canaan's tragic error and repent and put our faith in Christ today. But what about those of us who have put our faith in Christ? What about those of us who have trusted in his death on the cross as a payment for our sins and we've put our trust and our dependence on Christ and Christ alone for our salvation? We stand righteous in God's sight, but is there something that we can learn from Cain? Well, I think so. I think we can learn again that it's still possible for us to fall into the trap of going through the motions in our Christian lives. On the outside, looking on, others would see us at church. They would see us at Bible study. They would see us involved in service, maybe even praying. But if that's not a true expression of faith, if that's not an outworking of our relationship with God, then the Bible says it's empty, it's useless, and it's fruitless. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 15. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What matters most in our Christian lives is not what we do, not what we say, not what we look like, not what others think of us, but whether we are dwelling in Christ or not. Whether we are depending on Him or not. Whether we are learning from Him. Whether we are loving Him. Whether we've put our faith in Him. So this is our prayer this morning. That God will save us all from walking in the way of Cain. That way of hypocrisy, of play-acting, and of meaningless religious activity. And instead, we'll all walk in the footsteps of Abel. By putting God first in our lives. By giving him our very best. And doing that in wholehearted worship. Because our faith is in Christ. And in Christ alone.